Hey friends, welcome to The Threadcast. This is Ryan Smith, pastor at Common Thread Church. Uh, The Threadcast is our podcast where we dive deeper into each subject that we're dealing with each week as a a church, as a community of believers, as people who are wrestling with our faith. And we are in the midst of a series. We actually just started it last week. Um, It's entitled uh, The Best of Romans, Replacing Power and Privilege with Peace. And the idea is that there's this theme that runs throughout Romans that we'll be wrestling with. But uh, this week we took a break specifically from Romans, but we're keeping with the theme of replacing power and privilege uh, with peace. Um, Today, uh, Monday, the day that I'm recording this, is Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, day here in the United States, a day where we celebrate a man who, if there's any man that's walked this earth um, and truly lived out the idea of, re- of replacing power and privilege with peace. It was Martin Luther King Jr. And so today we uh, we want to kind of just focus on a teaching of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, that he did. Um, he often referred to the parable of the Good Samaritan. You can find that parable in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And today what I want to do is kind of just share, um, to be honest, today is not going to be... Um, all my thoughts. Uh, it rarely ever is. I, I try to compile different thoughts, but specifically today, there have been a lot of people who've wrestled, who, who've um, thought through um, Martin Luther King's teachings, especially on this parable of the Good Samaritan. So I'm going to be putting together um, just kind of a hodgepodge of different people's thoughts and bringing it together, um, not as my own, but as something that we can all grow in and think about and hopefully be blessed with uh, to be different on the other side of this. So as I said, Martin Luther King Jr., um, he spent a lot of time with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and this interpretation of his, it evolved over time. Um, he maintained a, um, a consistent focus on the way the parable allows us to examine obligations that we owe to one another. Um, he had a sermon on the topic, which he used frequently, frequently um, Who is My Neighbor? It's hard to find a, a copy of that sermon today. Um, word for word, but I found some highlights of it. But basically, that sermon question um, talks about um, how Jesus got a question. Um, he was questioned by a lawyer, and the lawyer was testing Jesus' um, limits on what on what Jesus' God requires. Um, now they both agreed that loving God and neighbor is essential, but the question was how far does this actually go? So in 1964, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, did a sermon um, in Eb- at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. He's famous for being a part of this church. Um, he discerned a philosophy or motivating principle which express, which is expressed in the actions of three sets of the parable's characters. Okay, And so Martin Luther King Jr. used to say this. He used to say that everyone within the sound of my voice today lives by one of these three philosophies. So the three philosophies were these. One was the robbers. Now the robbers, um, they're the, they're often taken for granted. They're they're the people that you sometimes you don't think about in this story. You forget about them when we talk about this story. But um, they waylay the traveler, um, and this is what makes actually the parable possible, right? The, 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 their action. So their predatory behavior. Um, it's this this behavior has ruled humankind for history, right? Um, King gave a number of examples of ancient and modern about slavery, colonialism, street crime, even preachers playing on people's religious desires in order to line their own pockets. And so throughout this, King's um, fury was evident as he recited again and again the robber's credo. And that credo was this, 
What is thine is mine, and if you don't give it to me, I'll take it from you. Right? What is thine is mine, and if you don't give it to me, I'll take it from you. And this is, a, as we can see, this is something that has ruled um, humanity throughout history. This idea that I see it and I want it, and I'm going to take it no matter what the cost. And sometimes it's used um, that that philosophy is hidden underneath underneath re- religious overtones, right? I'm sure many of us have have experienced this this um, in, in good and bad ways. The idea of um, people taking things um, that aren't theirs, and I don't. I said good and bad ways. I don't know that this could ever be done in a good way. Um, I'm positive that it couldn't be. This idea that when I see it, I take it. The second philosophy of people in this this parable that, that King would talk about was the he called it the way of the world, and these are the people who pass by things. So in the parable, it's the priest and the Levite. Um, but actually, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. would say these people kind of evoke sympathy because they're like us in some ways. So, um, but not only does King understand something about religious professionals because he was one, um, he also understands they seem to have very ordinary. Motivations. You see, the Jericho Road through the Judean wilderness was known for its dangers, and, and these these priests and Levites they'd be asking questions like, "Are the you know as they're coming upon this 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 guy who's laying by the side of the road, they're going to ask themselves questions like, "Are the robbers still near? Is there a trap? If they touch the man, whether he is dead or alive, they themselves will become unclean and thus unfit for their duties at the end of their journey. And if the man is dead already, what sense is there in stopping, right? I mean, these are all, they, they make sense questions, right? I remember I tell a story of uh, the day that I was um, going to ask my wife to marry me. Um, she was in a college town, 45 minutes away from where I was living, and I had this whole plan set up in back in our hometown of how I was going to marry her, and, the, and I had to go and pick her up and then bring her back, and I had some friends involved, and it was a, it was a great plan laid out. And so I was on a time crunch, and I still remember to this day as I was leaving my town to go get her. I came on, I was on the highway, I came up over this hill, and right as I was coming over this hill, I see a man standing on the side of the road um, with his with his truck with the hood up, and he's holding um, jumper cables in his hands in both hands. And as I'm coming over that hill, he looks at me dead in the eye, like you know, he's almost saying, "Will you help me?" And all I did was put my head down and kept driving because I was on a mission. I had something godly to do to ask this woman to marry. So, so, so it's easy for me to recognize that there are things that pop up that, that make us say, "No, no, I'm just going to pass by." And so it's very understandable, and it makes great sense um, what the priests and Levites do if we're honest. But the first question that the priest asked, and the first question that Levi asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? This is what King kind of presents to people. King says that that's what these guys were asking, is if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Man, that's such an honest question, right? So we know this philosophy, this way of living, yet King indicts this attitude of cautious self-preservation using biblical stories, including his favorite parable of the rich man and of Lazarus. It was not his wealth which sent the rich man to hell, but his failure to see the plight of his neighbor Lazarus, whom he passed by every day. And this attitude is not is, is found not just among the most powerful, right? 
Um, it was in Dr. King's congregation. It's in his and our it's in our churches. It can be found whenever whenever our time, our talent, or our treasure are devoted to the philosophy which segregates people's needs and gifts, letting some live in prosperity and others in poverty. So whether unconscious or studied, indifference to the needs of our neighbors fixes a great gulf between us and our neighbor and thus between us and God. King expressed this as the working out of a familiar idea. He would say, what is mine is mine and what is thine is thine, right? What is mine is mine. What is yours is yours. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. We'll stay focused. We won't bother each other. You know, whose job, whose, you know, it's not my job to to get in your business. It's not your job to get in my business, right? We, We understand that philosophy, and finally, the third uh, group of people um, that's in this parable um, is the neighbor, right? And of course, the parable makes clear that the Samaritan, the one who does not pass by, the one who risks himself and gives of himself, is the true neighbor of the wounded traveler. So King, noting that the merciful stranger was of different race than the wounded traveler, also notes that he lives by a different principle from that of the robber or the passerby. The Samaritan, this good neighbor, was somehow, has somehow come to know that what is mine is thine. What is mine is yours. Like Albert Schweitzer, Peace Corps volunteers, or those working and marching and dying for civil rights, the Samaritan understands that all humanity is tied together. Neither predators nor passerby can be safe in a world where misery, famine, plague, and hatred are the scourge of millions. These ills, these ugliness, these horrific things are contagious. And so, he who lives by this philosophy lives in the kingdom now, is what is what um, Dr. Martin Luther King would say all the time. He would say, he who lives by this philosophy lives in the kingdom now that when you live by the philosophy of what is mine is yours you are living God's kingdom now not in some distant day to day to come but this is the witness of Jesus who said in his own life what is mine is thine and I'll give it to you and you don't have to beg me for it this is why the cross is more than some meaningless drama taking place on the stage of history In a real sense, it is a telescope through which we look out into the long view of eternity and see the love of God breaking forward. It is God saying, I will reach out and bridge the gulf that separates me from you. So for King, the Samaritan neighbor has flipped the implicit question asked by the passerby, what will happen to me if I help, and acts on the question, what will happen to the wounded stranger if I don't help? It is this and his effective action to render aid and take the wounded traveler to safety and take care of his treatment and pay for everything that makes the Samaritan a good neighbor. So what makes him a good neighbor is not that he just sees the wounded stranger and asks what will happen to him, but he takes action and as we all know, Dr. Martin Luther King was the king of action, if you will. He was the one who, who not just thought about things and debated philosophy and de- debated theology, 
but put his life on the line and acted in ways that showed who he truly loved. Later on, Keem came to, to, to talk about um, this parable in a very different way. And you might call it uh, the development of the good neighbor philosophy, a prophetic perspective, or even a God's eye view. This is what King, King made use of his own experiences to understand something about the parable. And, and King um, has this quote. He says, I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for this parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. Uh, The road descends nearly 3,000 feet in elevation over only 20 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. And that's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as literally the Bloody Pass. And so Dr. King had come to know other dangerous roads in his life. The road to integrated buses, waiting rooms, and lunch counters was a dangerous road to travel. The road to voting registration was a dangerous road for African Americans. The road to economic health and opportunity was a dangerous road for poor people. The road between Selma and Montgomery was a dangerous road when walked by integrated protesters. The road to justice, which must of necessity challenge those who depend on injustice, has always been a dangerous road. But King realized that the danger of these roads was not a feature of creation, but of social relation, a proposed, a re-architecture of social landscapes. So King realized that this, these dangerous roads were not because of how God made them, but of how humans made them. And so King began to propose a re-architecture, a, a, a redesign of how the social world should work. And this is another quote from King. A true revol- revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside. But that will be only an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that the men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. You know, the, the idea to just to, to recognize, not, not that there's just, there's going to be, there's, you know, sometimes we just say there's always going to be the poor. There's always going to be those that are begging. But Dr. Martha the King says, no, 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 no. Instead of just trying to help those, maybe we need to restructure the things that are making those beggars and making those homeless and making those who have faced injustice. And so there are many ways to improve the Jericho Road. One is to send good Samaritans down it to rescue those in trouble. Another might be better policing to protect travelers. Another might fund a public works project to straighten out some of those most dangerous spots. And still another might be the transformation of society such that that few are tempted to become robbers. So in this final step, King has gone beyond the parable, which was Jesus' goal in telling this story. Answering the question, who is my, my neighbor, is only the first step. 
It is the way into the personal and collective transformation to which God is calling us. One might say that neighborliness is next to godliness. Now, it's, it's also important to note that some have, have objected to King reading race into this parable. Now, while it is a commonplace of New Testament studies to understand Samaritans as an other to Jewish identity, not unlike blacks to American whites, the story itself contains a signifier that ethnic identity issues are present. Jesus identified the final traveler as a Samaritan. But when he asked the lawyer which was a neighbor to the wounded man, the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. Now, not many interpreters have been able to find ambiguity in who shows mercy in this story. So is it a stretch to see that the lawyer is unable to say the word Samaritan in a praiseworthy context? And that is what where this kind of leaves us today, is this idea, what does it mean to truly be a neighbor to people around us? What does it mean to be people who are of power and privilege and to change the social construct around us by bringing peace into this world? And so Dr. Martin Luther King was an incredible example of this. And so for us as a group of people, Common Thread, we have to be challenged by um, the concept of power and privilege being replaced by peace by the actions that we should take. And that's the whole challenge that we're going to be doing throughout this series is that we're going to be reading Romans, and Romans is a heady book. Uh, just just want you to know that it's going to be hard. There's going to be places where we have to stop and just kind of dig in and say, hey, what, what's really being said here? But where we have to recognize it, it's not our job to understand Scripture. It's not our job to understand who is our neighbor. It's our job to act on what we hear. It's our job to act on knowing who our neighbor is and what are we going to do about that. And so that's the challenge this week. Um, not for you to come up with some amazing uh, social uh, activity that's going to allow you to show how um, unprejudiced you are or, or to show how, how great a neighbor you are, but really to challenge yourself in recognizing who is your neighbor, who is the one that's hard for you to say out loud in a praiseworthy way. And not just do that, but how do I love them? How do I lift them up? How do I make them people of power and privilege like me? You know that, and and the goal is not power and privilege, right? It's this idea that that I am a part of an eternal kingdom that everyone should be a part of. And how do I make that happen? How do I love those around me? So there's a lot going on here, um, and I just want to kind of leave that to you um, to wrestle with. Um, we're going to have some conversations on, on workplace as to what does this look like for us? How do, how do we deal with this? Where do we move forward in this? But um, I just want you to sit in this and uh, allow the thought of um, the life example of Martin Luther King Jr. this week to be a great example of what it means to live out bringing peace into this world. So I hope you have a great day. Grace in peace to you.